Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and, with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Thank you, Daniel, and thank you to our music group as well. It's great to see you this morning. My name's Simon. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and it'd be great if you could have Acts 14 open in front of you, page 1109, uh, as we're going to take just a little bit of the bit that was read for us um, earlier. Uh, each summer, uh, a group of us go to uh, a youth camp called uh, Contagious. It's a fantastic opportunity to spend a week of focused Bible teaching, uh, of some fun, some big activities, but really get into the heart of who um, God is and what it means to, to follow him. Uh, last year, uh, the theme, the big theme, was uh, John. We got into the book of John, and we were looking at a particular theme that comes out in the book of John, and that is glory, and looking at the weight of what that means, what it means to have God on display. Every evening, we would come together as a group, and we would uh, preach a part of John's gospel. Uh, but before that, uh, James and Laura Newton, who were part of this church, but are now part of the Phillips Street team, uh, would lead uh, a game show called No Guts, No Glory. Dun, dun, dun. The music was rather more effective than me just going da da da. They would lead No Guts, No Glory, where two um, uh, of the leaders would be pitted against each other in an act of bravery, competing to win the right to do the walk of glory while everybody applauded. Very highbrow, I can tell. One of the things that they did, every game show needs that kind of um, pre-competition chat. You know the bit that makes you squirm and makes you wish that you hadn't turned on the telly. And the, the question that James and Laura would ask everybody as they began was, what's the gutsiest thing you have ever done? What's the gutsiest thing you have ever done? A couple of the answers involve childbirth. I'm not brave enough to make any comment about that, so I'm just going to move on. Um, Laura herself talked about bungee jumping, which was pretty impressive, got her a few points. Uh, one of the leaders of the camp was a guy called Rob. He works in Haiti, and he talks about riding a motorbike at night with no lights into gangland in Haiti to provide medical attention for someone who needed it. That basically broke the game. After that, there was no, no going up from there. That was incredible. On one of the evenings, uh, a guy was asked, what's the gutsiest thing that you've ever done? And he said, I talked to my friend about Jesus. I thought, come on, son, you can do better than that. I mean, at least say you 
um, talk to your friend about Jesus while bungee jumping on a motorbike and giving birth at the same time. That would crank it up a bit. But no, he said the gutsiest thing that he had ever done was talk to his friend about Jesus. The thing is, for most of us, sharing our faith, telling someone who doesn't believe about Jesus is up there with the scariest things that we can and that we will do. We don't know what the response will be when we speak to them. Or sometimes we do, and we know it's going to be negative, and we don't want to push into that. We don't want to put ourselves open to that potential conflict. Now, those of us who love Jesus, who praise him every day of our lives, who are so grateful for the love that he has shown upon us, may still use words like hard, scary, intimidating, when it comes to talking about our faith. What do we need in that moment? We need courage. We need courage. We need internal strength to go and to proclaim our faith. But it's hard. We can't summon up that strength in and of ourselves. So where do we go for that courage? Here at HBC, we want to be a church for everyone because Jesus is for everyone. Nobody's excluded as far as Jesus is concerned. And so we want to be one who is there for everyone. And that can be hard. That can be scary. That can be intimidating. It's a whole lot easier just to be a church of people like me. Not for you, but it is for me. It's easier that way. We need those around us who will strengthen us, who will encourage us, who will put courage into us. And so as we think about the direction of the church, we want to be those who encourage each other. Who encourage each other in lots of different ways that the Bible tells us that we should. To live lives worthy of the Lord. To meet together regularly. To proclaim our faith and to look to the Lord's return. And so in this third of our series, as we work through those values, we're going to use Acts 14, the passage that was just read, to understand what it looks like to encourage one another to remain true to the faith. And what we'll see is that it is intimately bound up. You can't separate the two with proclaiming our faith, that thing that we find terrifying. And as we join our story, there are two main characters, Paul, who we see quite a lot, he pops up quite often, and Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is an absolute gift to this series because Barnabas' name means... Son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. He loved to encourage. He massively lived up to his name. He loved to strengthen those who loved Jesus. And we'll see this morning that he and Paul are going to encourage us to proclaim our faith in three different ways. To proclaim our faith to unbelievers. To proclaim our faith with believers. And to proclaim our faith through the church. So first, proclaim our faith to unbelievers. Now, Paul and his co-workers were pretty single-minded when they came to a new city. And we see it in the first half of verse um, 21. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. We see it again in 24 and 25. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. They were all about the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again, that we may know the God who made us. 
That word translated preach in verse 21, it means to announce. And we can rekindle those Christmas memories because it's the same word that the angels use when they come to bring the glad tidings of great joy. The proclamation of good news. What the angels brought to the shepherds, so Paul and Barnabas are now bringing to these cities in Eastern Europe and Western Asia. I think it's important to pause at that moment and consider our own attitude towards the gospel. See, do we truly believe, again to quote the words of the angel, that it is good news that will bring great joy for all the people? Deep down, do we truly believe that? You see, the good news begins with the bad news, that our desire to live without God has put such a divide between us that all we deserve from him is his condemnation and his judgment. That is what you and that is what I deserve from God. But the good news, the glorious news, is that in his love, he gave his one and only son, who lived the perfect in-step-with-God life that we could never do. He did it. He lived that perfect human life in step with God. And then gave himself up to die on the cross. The perfect for the imperfect. The righteous for the unrighteous. So that we can be free. And then on the third day he rose again. Showing that his sacrifice was acceptable to God. Showing his power over death. And showing that all those united by faith to him. Will live a life beyond death. How can Dan pray with hope about the life of John Carey? Because it hasn't ended. Because he is more alive than he has ever been in heaven with his Savior. What a glorious hope that is. And we can know that closeness of relationship with the God who made us that we were always created to have. That's the good news. That we can be restored. Without Jesus, we are subhuman. But with him, we are the humans that we were made, created to be. It certainly sounds like good news, doesn't it? But do we truly believe it? Enough to proclaim it to those that we don't know? Enough to push through that pain barrier? To share what is glorious? Because this isn't just for the experts like Paul. We can look at Paul and think, well, I could never be like him. And that's fine. But this is for us as well. See, verse 21, it tells us the result of their preaching. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. See, that phrase about the disciples is actually made disciples. And it's the same phrase as it is in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is the big call to all Christians across all time. And we see it in action here as disciples are being made. So what Paul and Barnabas are doing here is simply what you and I are called to do. Jesus calls all people to come to him. And those who respond and come, he then says, go. Not away from me, but go with me into every place that you can think of. From South I think we're good. Ironically, after a period of silence, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty good at talking about things that I'm passionate 
about. When I was preparing this, I've written in my notes here, I could give you a solid hour on England's performance in the test match in India. After Ollie Pope's performance over the past uh, couple of days, I could go for two hours about, uh, you never thought I was pro-Pope, but I am now when it comes to the test match. If I wanted to talk about the demise of Man United since the departure of Sir Alex Ferguson, I could go for a solid hour on that as well and probably keep going the other side. You want to know about differential equations or matrix algebra, I could hold court and give you whatever time you need. Those things that captivate us, those things that make a heart beat faster, those things we find easy to talk about. We can proclaim them as much as we like to those who really don't want to hear about cricket, football or maths. So what a blessing and what a challenge it is when I see someone for whom that is Jesus and the gospel. That their love for Jesus just so overflows that they can't keep quiet. That they are delighted to talk about the Savior who loves them. We encourage each other to proclaim our faith by doing it. By sharing the ups and the downs and asking each other to pray. One of the most encouraging things this week for me was when I got a text from someone in the church who's been sharing her faith in her family for quite a while. And she told me about some things that she felt had gone really well and some things that maybe hadn't gone so well. And she asked me to pray and she asked some advice. It just did my heart so good, so much good. Because there she was on the front line in her family. Doesn't always go as she would want it to do. But she is standing for Jesus. And that is such a blessing. It spurred me on. It filled me with strength. And it delighted me at the Lord's work. Because that's the key point. See, the fear we feel when we think about talking to unbelievers about Jesus is because we feel that we're on the, our own. We feel that we might mess it up. We might break them somehow. Look at the real encouragement from verse 26 and 27 in our passage. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they'd been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. See, the work that they had completed, proclaiming the faith in different cities, had been achieved by the grace of God, by his undeserved kindness. This was God's work. The door of faith that the Gentiles had walked through, God had opened it. Paul and Barnabas, of course, had done that work, but God had done the fundamental work of saving people. Paul didn't save people. He couldn't. You and I don't save people. We can't. God is the ultimate missionary, and he is saving people of all kinds through the sacrifice of his son. And amazingly and wonderfully and incomprehensibly, he uses you and me on that mission. Let's fix our eyes on our Savior, on our leader, and our Lord, and follow him on mission wherever he chooses to go. So we proclaim our faith to those who don't know Jesus, but we also proclaim it to those who do know Jesus. See, Paul wasn't simply this kind of tornado-like trailblazer who shook up a city that then was never heard of again. He just went away. He would return to places that he'd been to before to see how things were going. And as verse 21 continues into verse 22, we see it in action. Look with me, halfway through verse 21. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. See, the process of returning to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, it shows that Paul and Barnabas had been there before. You can't return somewhere if you haven't been there before. They'd preached to unbelievers. 
They'd made disciples and were now coming back to strengthen the believers. See, what do we need when we consider the front line of gospel proclamation? What do we need as we're looking out into this week and our homes and our workplaces and our communities? What do we need as we think about those who don't know Jesus and the conversations that we may have? We need strength. We need courage. And we need each other. And at the heart of Paul's mission to build up the believers was a truth that we saw so clearly when we as a church were going through the book of John. The word remain there in verse 22 takes us back to Jesus' words in John chapter 15 and verse 5. I am the vine, says Jesus. You are the branches. If you remain, it's the same word, in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's an expression of our connection to and our dependence upon the Lord Jesus. To remain, to abide in Christ is the foundation of our faith. See, Jesus' death opened a way for unholy people like us to be united to the holy God. And that union means that we can rest, we can remain in Jesus. I wonder, do you see how important it is that we proclaim this truth to one another? That we remind ourselves of what is true. That we remain true to the one who remains true to us. That we rejoice in that vibrant connection that brings life and vitality to who we are. That we abide in the one without whom you can do nothing. It is through that connection that we get the strength that we need. Not summoning it up from inside, but receiving it as a gift from the one who has an infinite resource. Football managers are often judged on the quality of their half-time talks. Can they get the team going again after that first 45 minutes of battle? The players have been out there against the opposition. And this is the short time that the manager has to remind the players of the gifts, to show them the plan for the second half and give them some kind of inspirational pep talk to send them out ready to go. Brothers and sisters, whenever we are together, we are at a break in the match. Here is the moment where we come back together and get ready to go again. We're battling against the forces of evil in this dark world, trying to help those who are walking in darkness to see the light. This is a moment when we catch our breath, where we're re-envisioned for the second half and encouraged to remain true to the faith. And that's not just now through the sermon. This isn't my job and nobody else's. As we share with each other what the Lord has been teaching us, what he's been doing in our lives. What he's been teaching us as we ask for prayer about a conversation this week. We allow our family to strengthen us, to encourage us, to move us on in him. The footballer who ignores the manager, who doesn't listen to the captain or his teammates, won't be as effective. Do we limit our effectiveness as we talk to unbelievers about Jesus? Because we don't talk to believers enough about Jesus. All those words that I used earlier to describe talking about Jesus, hard, scary, intimidating, are true. Look at the realism at the second half of verse 22. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. This is difficult work. The Bible is realistic about that. It is hard. No one said it would be easy. But not here. Not here. It shouldn't be hard and intimidating and scary to talk about Jesus here, 
Because Jesus is honoured and worshipped and glorified here. Here's the place where we're on the same team. And we look to our great captain, our chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus, as we head out into this week. See, here it should be the most natural thing ever. Here should be the place where, whoa, this past week it's been tough talking about Jesus. So good to talk to you and just see that smile on your face. We encourage each other to remain true to the faith by proclaiming it with each other. By delighting together in who Jesus is, strengthening one another on, and spurring everyone we speak to for the mission that we're on. Pretty soon we'll go out for the next stage. Let's encourage one another by proclaiming the gospel with each other. So we see that Paul longs that Christians remain true to the faith that they've been called to by proclaiming it to unbelievers, by proclaiming it with believers, and then by proclaiming it through churches. See, Paul was a, he was a pioneer. He was energized by new communities where nobody knew Jesus, and he just wanted to go in and start talking about Jesus and how wonderful it was. In God's strength, he wanted to start new churches where there were none. And he began in verse 21 by preaching the gospel and making disciples. But the follow-up is in verse 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. See here, Paul and Barnabas show that the weapon that God uses against the forces of darkness and evil in this world is the church. That is God's weapon. A group of people who've responded to the gospel and become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and are brought together under the leadership of elders who are prayerfully committed to the Lord for the future. That's God's method, his tactics for the battle in this age. See, this is the church that we are and the church that we should always hope to be. A group of ordinary people shown grace by an extraordinary saviour and made more like him through his spirit's work. Leaders are recognized, trained, and appointed to continue the work and are surrounded by prayer and fasting as they lead all to Christ. That's what a church is to be. This is the vision that's been seen for the last 2,000 years and is the place where gospel proclamation happens. It's seen on days like today when the church gathers, we're together, and the faith is proclaimed. The doors are open and people can come and hear about Jesus. But it's seen Monday to Saturday too as the church scatters and goes off into different parts of the city, sometimes even different parts of the world, to proclaim that Jesus is king. Wherever the Lord calls us to be, there we proclaim. It's through the church that the Lord will save his people. It's why church planting and church revitalization have always been front and center here. Don't get me wrong, the work in Headley Park and Bedminster Down will never end this side of the Lord's return. Yet when we look around South Bristol, when we look around North Somerset, we see vast groups of people who've got no gospel church, no access to this glorious news that Jesus saves. That is a truth that should break our hearts. Why is it that when we hear of unreached people groups in parts of Africa or parts of Asia, we respond and we may give to an organization or particularly pray, yet when it's on our doorstep, we don't. It doesn't motivate us, doesn't inspire us, doesn't break our hearts in quite the same way. Maybe it's because we are the answer rather than somebody else. The recent revitalization of Phillips Street Chapel is a sacrifice. 
It's a sacrifice to us, those who have sent. It's a sacrifice for those who have been sent and are now settling into a new church. It's a sacrifice for those who have received as things change and life is different from how it was before. But that is the pattern of Christ, a sacrifice to win people for eternity. What a glorious reason to have people leave a church because they're going to start another one. So, where next? Where next? That's right. Three weeks after the final service of Heathy Park and Phillips Street being together before the revitalization, I'm asking, where next? Now, of course, there is Christ-like wisdom that we need about who and when and where and how. But the vision before all of us is a giving ourselves to the Lord for this great mission that he has called us upon. Are we willing to lay ourselves before him and say, Jesus, whatever it is, wherever you want me to be, whatever you want me to do, because you are with me, I am going to go. The fact that he uses us should make our hearts leap. There are so many who need to hear of Christ. What an honor to be used by him to reach those nearby for his glory. How often do you pray for our next church plant? For some of you who don't live locally, you come here because there are no gospel churches near you. Are you praying that the Lord would bless your community and would use us to do it? That maybe the place where you live could be a place where we plant a church, where the gospel is proclaimed, And people around come to know and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be about training future church leaders. Identifying places for future church plants. Praying that the Lord would move greatly in this region. It is a joy. I say every Sunday evening, not tonight. To come together jointly with Headley Park Church and Phillip Street. Wouldn't it be great if there were churches in all the different communities of South Bristol, churches in North Somerset, all coming together for this glorious celebration, that in the mornings we go off and we proclaim the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then we come together in the evening and we rejoice that he is a God who saves. Wouldn't that be amazing? That we couldn't fit in here? Let's think about filling Ashton Gate. I was there with 25,000 people a couple of weeks ago. Wouldn't it be great? to be proclaiming Jesus. I'll probably have to turn into Billy Graham to fill Ashton Gate, but that's by the by. Let me be massively selfish. Why else would I stand here and have your attention and tell you how you can encourage me? Tell me who you think I should be investing my time in, that you see future leaders, that you see people who could lead a church and proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ? Who from the next generation can take on that baton and move it forwards? Tell me about your community and how desperate it is faith-wise so that I can be praying, so that we as a church can be praying, so that we can look into the future and say, Lord, please show us. Is it us who are going to be blessing this area? Pray that we'll be able to make a difference. See, the Lord saves through disciple-making, leader-appointing, praying and fasting churches. Let's all be encouraged in this glorious, glorious work. For all of these things are his work.
He is the one who pours grace upon us. He is the one who opens doors. He is the one in whom we abide. It is through proclaiming the gospel to each other that we're strengthened and spurred on in mission, which then leads to more gospel proclamation to those who don't know Christ, which leads to disciples being made and leads to churches being planted, which leads to more gospel proclamation. In one sense, there is no magic formula. It's those who have been made disciples, making more disciples, and continuing until the Lord Jesus returns. This is Jesus' mission. It is his. And what it looks like for us is to be on mission for him, following him, looking to seek his will and proclaim him. It's a huge, it's a never-ending task, but what a vision. What a vision it is to be called by the king to serve him in this way. What a privilege. What a savior we have to proclaim. Let's encourage each other to get out there and bring glory to the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this is too big for us. This is too hard and scary and intimidating for us. And yet we praise you that that is the point. Because if we thought that we would do it in our own strength, then we would fail. But thank you for that vibrant, life-giving, strength-infusing connection that we have with the Lord Jesus. And that in him, we can be used for your glory. Father, we thank you for your great salvation work. That across the whole of human history, you are drawing people to yourself. We thank you for those of us here who know, trust, and love you, that you have set your love upon us. And we pray for those here who don't know you. We pray for those that we will encounter this week who don't know you. Oh, Father, may it be that our hearts are stirred to trust in you and then to go for it. To proclaim Jesus because he is worthy. And Father, as brothers and sisters together, may we encourage one another May we be quick to share of the highs and the lows. That we're full of energy because a conversation has gone really well or in the depths because we haven't had a gospel conversation for a long time. Lord, I pray that we'd be accepting of each other, that we would pray and point each other to Jesus, rejoicing in who he is and setting our face to the next stage of our mission. We know it is an unfinished task, but we look to you the God of all mercy, longing that you would use us for your glory.